He made that into an internal mental thing. Don't hate. Don't, don't talk bad about. Um, we talked about with adultery how that he took an external action and he internalized it. Well, here's the interesting thing about not coveting. It is already an internal action. In fact, it is internal, and it is the only one in the Ten Commandments that are explicitly internal. Now, what that does is there's, there's this old um, kind of distinction. There, there was a rabbi talking to a pastor. I know that sounds like the beginning of a joke, but it's not really, all right? There was a rabbi was talking to a pastor, and he said, the difference between your faith and our faith is ours is an acts-based religion where yours, if you even think about it, it's wrong. What he's saying there is how Jesus took an internalized action. Well, that doesn't fly when you come to the Tenth Commandment because it says here an internal thing. Don't want after. Uh, it was interesting because I, I read those. I, I'd been given those Ten Commandments uh, much earlier in the series and was looking back over them this week, planning on using them this week. And uh, then I read some commentaries and some books about this commandment. Now, one of the books that I've been reading along with this series is a book by uh, Dr. Al Mohler, who's the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. And Dr. Moeller is one of the uh, smartest men I have ever met. Now, I haven't met him much. I've only met him a couple of times. But I know on average he reads about eight to ten books a week. All right? He, he, he just reads. He's just brilliant. And I was reading his stuff, and I was looking for his deep theological insight into what the word covet meant. And I expected to get this deep, rich, theological interpretation. And he said the best understanding of it is the word hankering. Hankering. Now, then he said this. Now, you probably would not ever use that in normal, everyday language. Well, Dr. Al Mohler wouldn't, but people we know would use hankering, right? We know what that means. It means that you hanker after somebody's stuff. You want it. You desire it. You, you look for it. You, you, you think about it. And so, this little church in Gainesboro, Tennessee, and Dr. Al Mohler agree that the best understanding of this is we ought not to be hankering after other people's stuff. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but the holiday season is in full effect. I mean, it used to, you had to wait till after Thanksgiving. And then you had to, you know, it moved a few years ago. You had to wait till after Halloween. Now you have to wait till after Fourth of July to start, right? So holiday season is in effect, okay? And something that's going to happen, I can almost guarantee, over the next few weeks with some Sunday school class in this church will prove how coveting is a part of our nature. Over the next few weeks, there will be Sunday school Christmas parties. At least I hear rumors that you have those, all right? I don't get invited to some of them, and that's because there are things that probably go on there. You don't want the pastor around, all right? But there's Sunday school parties. And I got invited to one last year, and they played this game. It's called, in some places, the White Elephant Christmas gift exchange. Other places call it Dirty Santa. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, have you ever... You know the game, right? You open up a gift. You draw numbers first, right? You open up a gift. Everybody looks at the gift. They ooh and ah at the gift. The second person gets a choice, right? 
They can either do what? They can, yeah, somebody said the right word. They can steal the person's gift that has already been opened, or they can't open a gift. And the game goes on ad infinitum until everybody steals whatever they want to steal and get mad at each other and all of that. I went to one last year. A perfectly fine group of people. And by about the tenth person, it became a cutthroat game. And then I had a dilemma. As a pastor, there was something opened I really would have liked to have had. And I had just commented about how cutthroat the game had become, and my turn came around. Now, my wife has no problem taking other people's stuff, but I was a little more sensitive. I won't use that in the second service, all right? So if we could all agree to keep that on the down all right? So it comes to me, and being the nice, considerate pastor that I am, I decided just to open up the gift. I didn't steal anybody. Apparently, there's a prank that's been in the Sunday school class for the last, I don't know, 15 years. And it is an ugly green ornament that is about this size. Now, I knew I wasn't getting that. I'd heard about it because I opened up a little tiny package. But guess what was in the package? A little note that I had received the ugly green ornament that I is now charged with keeping up with for a year. I'm not even a member of the Sunday school class, all right? So, but the game, we, 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 we say cute little things about it to each other, but deep down it reveals the covetous nature of our hearts, the hankering we all have for other people's stuff. I don't think it's coincidence that God kind of laid on my heart to do this series this, these last ten weeks and that it was to end today. It, it is the week before Thanksgiving, right? And our nation stops on Thursday and we're supposed to give thanks. I mean, it, it's turned into a time when we gorge ourselves on food and watch football. We sit around with our families and we, we, we enjoy the moment, but I'm not sure that we really give thanks. One of the reasons I know that most of us don't give thanks is because, or a lot of us don't, is because the next day at noon there'll be stories all over the nation how people were beating each other up on Black Friday to get that must-have item. It's okay to give thanks one day a year, but on the Friday after it's time to go shopping. And as I thought about it, this verse, don't covet after your neighbor's house or manservant or maidservant or ox or wife really speaks to the core issue of contentment. And until we as a people get to a place of contentment, we'll never be a thankful people or a people that are doing great things for the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the writer says this, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity and a chasing after the wind. Hebrews chapter 13, the writer says, 
Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus says this, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Don't covet after your neighbor's house. Don't covet after your neighbor's stuff. Don't covet because what you're doing and coveting is saying, God has not provided me with enough. The key to thanksgiving is to be content. I want you to say something with me right now. We're going to do this a couple of times in the, in the course of the sermon. I, I want you to say this after me. Just repeat after me. My life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. My life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. Now, we know that. I mean, Jesus said it, so it's true. And we we, we know that. But we often don't live like we know that. What this commandment speaks to is that there is within us what, what, what someone has termed the restless heart syndrome. Anybody ever heard of the restless leg syndrome? Huh? Anybody ever had that? Okay. Where your legs, they just they feel like they're moving even though they're not moving. They won't, you can't settle down. They're just, they, you just feel like you're going. The Bible seems to suggest that we have a restless heart syndrome. Now let me say this. Discontentment is not always bad. There are some things in life we ought to be discontent about. The problem is that you and I have become discontented with the things we should be contented with, and we have become contented with the things we should be discontented with. A philosopher from a couple of hundred years ago said this, It is right to be contented with what we have but never with what we are. You see, there are times when discontentment is a virtue. There are times when we need to constantly want more, more of God, uh, a better prayer life, uh, more justice, more love for one another, deeper relationships, a more fervent life in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, more character, more grace, more love, more joy. We ought to be discontented with the spiritual areas of our lives that need to be strengthened. The problem is most of us are perfectly content there. We're content with a weak prayer life and a lack of Bible understanding. And we're content with superficial relationships within a small group within the church. And we're content with... Uh, having our pew on our Sunday with our music the way we want it. And it's the same that it's been for years and years and years, and that's okay with us. We're content with the fact that the baptismal waters aren't stirring like they should be. We're content with the fact that life-changing things are not happening in the lives of the people of this church. We're content with doing things the way they just have been done. We're just content with life spiritually as it is. And yet, Scripture teaches us that those ought to be the things that shatter us, that break us, and that move 
us. On the other hand, Scripture says that we should always be content with what we have. This restless heart syndrome sometimes shows itself in life circumstance, not just in material possessions. Someone wrote this poem. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted because of the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, and it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over and I never got what I wanted. You see, the Bible teaches us that we ought to be content with what we have. The world doesn't teach us that. The world teaches us the opposite. It shows itself up when we buy that new car and the moment we drive it off the lot, even before the scent of the new car smell has completely passed through it, we start to think about the things we would want on the next car we buy. Or, or we, we buy a house and we move into the house and almost immediately we begin to think about, well, the, the bathroom in the other house had this. Or I wish my bedroom's walls were two feet wider. I, I, I wish I could fit this there. We walk into a job on a Monday morning and we immediately think about all of the things that are wrong with the job that we have. At lunchtime, we get on the computer or during work hours and we begin to surf on monster.com or careerbuilder.com or just the wanted ads from the Tennessean. Our stuff. We look at it and we see what our friends have and we go to their house and we play with something new or we 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 hear some new kind of music or we see a new kind of TV or we sit on a little bit better couch or we... It's endless. It happens in churches. We find a church and we begin to settle down and then the preacher says something we really don't kind of like. Somebody forgot to call us back when we volunteered for an activity or Usher was a little unfriendly this morning. Suddenly we begin to pull away there begin to shop a little bit. Parents, kids, you have a friend over to spend the night, boy, I wish my kid would act like that one. Marriage starts great, you're in love, you, <laughs> just the look on the other person's face can send your heart soaring. And then gradually you begin to notice all of those things that annoy you or upset you or were cute the first 150 times and annoying every time thereafter. And in the close of just casual conversation, you meet somebody and think, man, if I just met them first. Or, I can't believe her husband does this or his wife does that. I, I just wish sometimes mine would. You know, sometimes I think God must look at us and think the same thing when I give my children a gift and all they say is, well, now all I need is this. You ever give somebody a gift and they ask for the gift receipt or ask if there's one in there? 
something you spent a long time. I'm not talking about if you've got duplicates or any. I used to joke with my mom. My mom, I'm convinced, used to make out a Christmas list that she knew would have the highest return value after Christmas. Right? We used to joke about that. But you know what I'm talking about. You, you, you pour your heart into a gift, and you give it to someone, and you can tell by the expression on their face that it was okay. I wonder if God ever looks at us and says, isn't what I have given you enough? Let's talk for just a moment about ways to cultivate contentment. Because what this verse is all about is, if you're not going to covet, what you have to be is content. So let's talk for just a moment about ways to cultivate contentment. You see, contentment is something you have to learn. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned to be content in all situations, whether rich or poor, whether in good health or bad, whether free or in prison, I have learned. And so contentment is learned. That's where he gets to chapter 4, verse 13. We've talked about this where he says, and I can do all things. In other words, I can be content in any situation because of Jesus Christ who strengthens me. What's interesting is people often disconnect that from something like Romans chapter 7 where Paul says this, What shall we say then is the law of sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But then he says this, But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Paul said, I coveted in every way imaginable. And you have that, and you get to him in a Roman prison, and he says, I have learned to be content. So what are, I'm just going to give you four today, and let me just give you a little heads up of looking ahead. One of the things we're doing this, this uh, Christmas season is we're going to, do a series of sermons um, about just simply celebrating Christmas without, not that all the other stuff's bad, but simply celebrating Christmas. So some of these ideas will carry over into some things we talk about in the weeks ahead, but I just want to give you four today. And the first comes from a, an author and a pastor named John Ortberg who says that he has learned in his life to just simply say these four words, it could be worse. Amen? Say that with me. It could be worse. He said, so when I'm in a parking lot and I get out of my five-year-old vehicle and I park next to a brand new off-the-lot dealer tagged top-of-the-line vehicle, I say to myself, it could be worse. That'd be a good time for you to repeat, all right? I say to myself, it could be worse, all right? He said, so when I go to my house, And I've just been to a friend's house, and I saw this brand new thing that they've got, a new appliance or or new countertops or new carpet. I walk back into my builder-grade carpet with my 10-year-old appliances. I just think to myself, it could be worse, all right? When I walk into my job on Monday morning and I think about all the things that are wrong and all the things that that I wish were better, I just say out loud to myself, it could be worse. And when I sit down at night to dinner and I look across the table at my wife, I s- I don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> B- 
But the reality is, even on those most difficult days of marriage, it could be worse. And he said, as you begin to cultivate that idea in your mind, what you realize is, we don't have it bad at all. At all. As I look around this room, and we've said this and you know this, we're in the top 1% to 2% in the world. In the world. Not, not necessarily in America, but you know what? That's okay. I, I remember my grandparents and my parents saying, I just want my kids and my grandkids to be better off than I was. And here's the truth. We are. We are. And it's still not enough for many of us. And we just have to remind ourselves it could be worse. Here's a second thing is to ask this question. When you're getting ready and you feel like you've got to have the next thing or you've got to have something else, is to ask the question, how long will this make me happy? How long will this make me happy? About um, six years ago now, um, we were, uh, I, I was, it was summer, I mean, it was Christmas vacation, and we all went to, Susan's parents' house, and the whole family was there, and the boys had just gotten some new games. Susan's nephews had just gotten some new games for the Xbox. And they were cool. And playing those games reminded me of my childhood and teenage years. So you know what I thought? i got to have me an Xbox. Now here's the reasoning I used. Eli, who at that time was fully 10 months, is going to want to play video games soon. He is going to want to play video games, um, and, and I need to, to prepare for that. It's better to buy it now. He, you know, by the time he wants to play, this will be an outdated system, but, but, but it, we can get the games cheaper. You know, My birthday's coming up. I, I haven't had a birthday where I've asked for something just indulgent in a long time. And so that birthday, I got an Xbox. Because I was going to play it all the time. You know what I found out? I don't have time to play Xbox. I just don't. And it's as each year has gone on, I have less and less time. Now, you know where the Xbox is now? It's downstairs. I haven't picked up the controller in years. Now, my boys occasionally go down there and play. It's not necessarily a bad but, but I realized it wasn't going to make me happy long. But you know that feeling, don't you? When something, it's probably not an Xbox for most of you. You probably care less. But when something grabs your imagination and you say to yourself, I don't know if I can be whole without that. Now, on the other side of it, how ridiculous it sounds. But in that moment, ask, how long will it make me happy? Third thing, be intentional about developing a grateful heart. Gratitude is essential to contentment. Last night as we were getting ready to go to bed, um, we we were doing a devotional with Eli. And it was out of a book. And the um, the book had a little story in there that was okay, 
but it referenced the story of the ten lepers. You know the story, right? There will be a lot of people across the country preaching on the ten lepers today, right? Jesus heals ten lepers, and then how many of them come back to say thank you? One. Well, I'm reading that story to, to Eli last night. It's not in there, so I'm recapping it. And I'm, I mean, how do you describe leprosy to a seven-year-old and four-year-old? Luke's there in the bed with us talking. And how do you do all that? And so I, I got around to doing that. And then I just said to him, I said, so, so, so Eli, how many of those guys do you think came back and told Jesus thank you? And he said, all of them, Daddy. And I thought in my mind, You know, sometimes I just like to read the Bible with a fresh perspective of not knowing the answer because it reveals the depth of our depravity when we realize that all ten should have, but only one did. And yet the Lord just kind of spoke to me this morning as I was replaying that scene in my mind. How often have I been ungrateful about what God has provided me? Develop a heart of gratitude. And then here's the last thing. Ask yourself this question. Where do I find satisfaction? We started by reading Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, he said, I gave myself everything I wanted, and it did no good. So stuff isn't where we find satisfaction. The world will tell us ease, comfort, money. But that's not where you find satisfaction. Because in your life, you're going to need hope and grace and mercy, and deep relationships, and times of intimacy with your Father. Jesus said in Matthew 6 that we are to seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything will be added. I mean, you'll get all that stuff. It just means you'll be contented with what you have. Psalms say that we are to thirst after the Lord like a deer thirst after water. That the only place to find true contentment is in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the way we were made. That's the way we were built. And anything else is a cheap substitute for the real thing. To finish up the Ten Commandments, God says, just be satisfied with what I have given you. Enjoy it. Take care of it. He wants us to realize that even if all that we have in life is Him, it's enough. So let me ask you a question. A couple of questions this morning. First of all, are you content with the things in your life that you ought to be discontent with? Are you okay being at the same spiritual level you were ten years ago? Are you okay with the prayer life that is not where it needs to be? Are you okay with a Bible understanding that is not growing and maturing? Are you okay with superficial relationships that really aren't leading to depth? Are you okay with not being a part of spreading the kingdom of God on a daily personal basis? Are you okay with that? And if you are, perhaps this morning your prayer needs to be that the Lord will begin to stir discontent in the things of His kingdom within your heart. The second question is, are you discontent with the things you ought to be content about? Have you begun to want and to hanker for stuff that God has not given you? And if so, are you willing this morning to just tell the Lord openly and honestly, that's where I am, and I want 
is you.